Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The opportunity, opportunity. This is your big opportunity edition. As we look ahead to Sunday's game at Paul Brown Stadium, as the 0-2-1 Bengals are a three-point favorite as they host the 1-2 Jacksonville Jaguars. Coming up, Dave Lapham joins me to discuss right guard. No, not the popular male deodorant. The position, which could use some freshening up. We'll cover that and all of the Bengals' key storylines. This week's one-on-one player interview is with center Trey Hopkins as we discuss protecting Joe Burrow and opening holes for Joe Mixon. And finally, it's our Know the Foe segment as we get an in-depth look at the Jaguars from Gene Frenette, a straight-shooting columnist from the Florida Times-Union. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Prime Sport, the official hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since the QB school. Remember J.T. O'Sullivan, the Bengals' backup quarterback in 2009? He has a channel on YouTube these days called The QB School, where he does in-depth analysis of quarterback play. On Tuesday, he spent 17 minutes going over Joe Burrow's performance against Philadelphia, and it's excellent. I highly recommend checking out the video, and then tune into the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday afternoon. JT will be our guest at 3.15. Now, time to bring in my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Let's discuss the number one issue on this team, and that is the play of the offensive line. They gave up eight sacks against the Eagles and 18 quarterback hits, although, according to head coach Zach Taylor, the line was not responsible for all of those sacks. The offensive line didn't give up eight sacks. You know, they gave up four, and one of them was at the last play to half. You know, when I asked Joe to hold on the ball for about 15 seconds, um, you know, we had receivers involved. We were somewhere on naked, somewhere on tight end you know so there, there was a lot of people involved I know eight sacks is always going to be a reflection on the offensive line but that's just not the truth after this game you know and, and again it's there are we, we got to continue to improve up there you know we got um, two guys on the left side there that have played probably combined 10 games of their NFL career and um, we're only going to get better you know and those guys are, are accountable to what they can improve on and so um, again I'm, I'm not I'm always I'm always um, it's never as bad as you think it is and there's some things that we're improving on and um, we'll continue to improve on as the season goes. That being said, how, how do you feel about the amount of times Joe was contacted? I mean, did those differ from maybe some of the contacts that he had in week one and week two? I, yeah, I do. You know, it's we, we had two sprint outs where he got contacted on, you know, out of bounds almost, you know, and and uh, his biggest hit of the day was on a naked, you know, where he, he scrambled um, on a naked. The, the line's not really planning on him being there. You're faking to the right and you're keeping the ball to the left. They're not expecting him to be back on the right, hitting an explosive play to TV. Uh, that's just what he brings to the table. You know, it's anything's on the table on any given play call. And, um, you know, he got hit. We got the penalty there. And um, so, you know, some of those that look really bad are on some plays where we don't necessarily intend on that happening. But, again, that's that's what um, makes Joe the player that he is, is he's not afraid to take those hits and put himself in those positions because it means explosive plays. And there's a balance there of being smart, you know, not putting yourself in that position. But at the same time, um, I'm screaming out and throw the ball away on the play where, where T got called out of bounds. I'm scream, I'm two feet from him, screaming, throw the ball away. And all of a sudden he, he puts a spin move on somebody and gets us a 25 completion, 20 yard completion down the field and turns around and starts laughing at me, you know? So um, there's just some things with this offense that um, we're learning. There's going to be some explosives there that are unexpected. And we got we to gotta be able to block for 10 seconds sometimes on some things where you don't think the ball's coming back at you, but it is. And that, that's part of what's going to make this thing pretty exciting. All right, we're going to hear from Joe Burrow on that subject in just a little bit. Let's unpack some of the stuff that Zach Taylor had to say there. He said, I asked Joe to hold on to the ball for 15 seconds. He's referring to the Hail Mary at the end of the Mm -hmm. second quarter. Mm -hmm. Then he also talked about the biggest hit that he took, that shot, that wicked shot that knocked the wind out of him on a naked. So he's rolling out to his left. There's a guy there. He stops, starts to run back to the right a little bit, and... In the NFL, if you do that, you are setting yourself up to potentially just get crushed, which you did. You're on your own. And Malik Jackson said, I'm going hunting. And he put a big X on his chest and shoulder and smoked it. Um, 
you, you can rationalize, you can build a case, almost like a lawyer, uh, to say, oh, you know, eight sacks, they all weren't in the offensive line. And, and that, that's true. But you can find other plays where the quarterback saved the offensive line from a sack or a running back saved the offensive line from a sack. I don't care what the numbers say. I don't care how you try to rationalize it. All I know is when I'm watching a game as a former lineman, I don't see a clean enough pocket a high enough percentage of the time. And you can dilly-dally all you want about, you know, this and that. I don't give a damn. It's like, is the, is the pocket secure enough but with the center and guards for the quarterback to step up if he needs to? And is it wide enough from the tackles for the quarterback not to worry about getting hit? And way too high a percentage of the time, it's not. And I'm not saying it's all five guys. I'm not saying that by any stretch because I've been there. And I know it only takes one guy. But there's way too many times where it's happening where one guy has an issue. And in some cases, you know, like Zach said after the game, his first reaction as a former quarterback after the game is when a three technique is coming up the field like a free runner, and that's the outside shoulder of the guard, the right guard, is coming up the field like he's hardly touched, that's disconcerting to the quarterback. No question about it. So the bottom line is it has to get better. I know what good protection looks like. I think almost everybody knows what good protection looks like. Right now, it's not good protection. It's not good enough. And, you know, and Joe, Joe needs to make an effort to not exacerbate the problem. He needs to make a decision where, man, if I start to take too many of these, I'm not going to be around for a very long time. Because these guys, the SEC is a great level of competition. But these guys are bigger, faster, stronger. The SEC has more offensive and defensive line playing in the NFL than any conference. But all of these guys playing in the NFL right now on both sides of the line of scrimmage could play in the SEC. Not just, you know, two per team, maybe three on a team, offense and defensive linemen. So it's just another jump up. I mean, you have defensive ends outside linebackers that are more athletic than running backs you played against in college. It's crazy. And that's just an, that's the nature of the beast, and you're just going to have to decide. I'm, gonna put, I'm not going to put myself at unnecessary risk for the sake of one play. Not going to do it. Malik Campbell got penalized for that hit, and I'm sure he'll get fined. Malik but Jackson. I have, Malik Jackson, yeah. I'm sorry. But I really haven't heard anybody talk about that as a cheap shot. If Vontez Perfect had hit a quarterback like that, it would have run nonstop, right. 24-7. People would have been calling for him to be banned from the league. I'm not saying Malik uh, Jackson is a dirty player. I don't know of any history of that kind of uh, stuff. But that was a dirty hit. In my opinion, uh, yeah, it was. It, it um, didn't it, he launch himself toward the shoulder neck area? You know, he ran through him. You know, kind of. You're right. If Vontez Burford or Joe Green or you know, pick a guy, Dick Butkus, pick a guy with a reputation. Um, so and, you know that can be a prejudicial scenario. There's no question about it. But he was flagged. I'm glad he was flagged because you know one of those. I wonder if he was fined. He will be fined. I mean, the league. We'll find that out at the end of the week. He wasn't ejected. Obviously, but he was. He, I'm sure he's looking at a fine oh, if he was penalized fine. like that. Bottom line is, you're, you got to protect quarterbacks. A quarterbacks are the storyline of the National Football League, and they're the most valuable asset you have in your company. <laughs> so you got to protect them. You got to protect them. All right, let's talk about right guard. Xavier Suafilo was the starter in Week One. He got hurt. Billy Price finished up that game. Fred Johnson started and played Game Two. Fred Johnson started game three, got yanked at halftime. Billy Price finished up. It didn't go particularly well. They've got Alex Redman on the practice squad. They promoted Keaton Sutherland from the practice squad this week. What are they going to do at right guard? Before you answer the question, let's hear from offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. We're looking at all of them. And the, the, the play there has got to be better. And I think uh, everybody can see that. Um, you know, I, I don't know that. I felt at halftime we kind of felt Fred struggling more than as you watch the tape. It wasn't as bad as it felt. It was just a couple of plays that make it feel bad. Um, and then Billy kind of did some good things early, and then he struggled late uh, in the game there in, in pass pro. So uh, we just we need better play there. And so all the options are on the table uh, as far as the players that are on our roster. Um, you know, I, I ultimately – chances of a, of a Pro Bowl guard walking through your door in week three of the season are real low. Um, that's, just the, that's just the nature of it, so there, there's really no uh, cavalry coming in that sense. Um, so we, we got we to find ways to, 
to get the best guys on the field. And we're looking at all the options, uh, especially who's here. And if there is somebody out there in the world that can help us, uh, we'll certainly look at that too. He sounded like Rick Pitino in his Boston Celtics days. Larry Bird and right. Kevin McHale aren't walking through that door. And he's right. You're probably not going to be able to land a great guard right now at this point of the season. But but what do you think? What do they do? It's it's open competition, you know. And if I'm a if I'm a lineman, if I'm a guard, I'm like this is my chance, you know. But the problem is, why the hell hasn't that happened long before this? Why does it have to come to this desperate situation where it was so bad uh, that you the right guard was the biggest problem in the pass protection? Uh, for more snaps than not. So why did it come? Why has it come down to this? This is the fourth game of the season. Now, there was no training camp, no OTAs, all that sort of thing. They thought they were better off than they were, obviously. Once it got to live bullets, man, it certainly wasn't good enough, anywhere near, near good enough. And in my opinion, the guy that can handle the job the best is Alex Redmond. Alex Redmond has 17 NFL starts. Alex Redmond has played next to Trey Hopkins. He's played next to Bobby Hart. They, they know live action, the, the, where to set for stunts. They have a feel for each other. They, they, they've communicated all those kind of things that are important. They're, they're extremely important, you know. So if he's healthy, but that's the problem. You know, Alex had the wrestling incident, I guess, you know, in the offseason right before tra- and Mrs. training camp. Now, there's no, no uh, preseason games, no OTAs, no mini camps, and he misses training camp. What are you supposed to do? I mean, you know, he – he painted himself and the organization both into a corner. And they decided, you know, he's not ready for, to let him go. And the, and the thing is, what has to go on, the light that has to go on in his head is, nobody picked him up. When the Bengals let him go, nobody picked him up. The Bengals brought him back. Okay. So now, when you're healthy, we know you can play. We know you can finish. We know you're a beast. We know you can, you know, you by finish, it's like not just block people, but then try to abuse them at the end of it and say, you know, you're not going to want to line up against me anymore. That kind of an attitude. He has got that saltiness. Now, he has to make sure he doesn't take it too far. Don't let the pendulum swing too far. You don't want any silly penalties. You don't want any false starch. You don't want mental errors. You know, those are the kind of things you, he has to make sure. He has to make sure he is on point, dot in the eye, crossing the T, detail-oriented, prove to the coaches that he is not only ready to go physically, ready to go mentally. Because if that's the case, he's the best right guard they have. In my opinion, bar none. You know, case closed. I'm not saying he's the best in the league or anything like that. But I'm saying from what they've got to choose from right now, he is their most viable and best option. Joe Burrow has been sacked more often than any other quarterback in the NFL so far this year. He's been sacked 14 times. Deshaun Watson of Houston right behind him with 13 sacks. But according to Pro Football Focus, if you measure the highest percentage of pressure it's not at the top in terms of the Bengals former Bengals quarterback Jeff Driscoll has been pressured on 47 percent of his dropbacks that's number one Joe Burrow has been pressured on roughly 38 percent of his dropbacks that is ninth most in the NFL so here's Joe Burrow on the pressure he has been facing in his first three NFL games you know the my style everyone talks about the hits and you know, the sacks, my style of play, I'm going to get hit. You know, I'm going to try to extend the play as much as I can. And um, that's something that I'm going to have to live with. And I've, I've lived with it. I understand that, you know, that's going to happen. Um, you know, there were a couple times where I held the ball a little too long. And, um, you know, at the end of half, end of game that, you know, the eight sacks was kind of misleading. Um, because end of half, end of game, you don't want to turn it over. Um, you don't want to cl- the clock to stop. So I took a couple sacks on purpose. Um, so the, the eight sacks was a little misleading. So I remember one, you were, you ran a naked bootleg, wasn't there. You, you started to come back and try to make a play, you know, like you have, you've done a lot and uh, you're, you're on your own then, I guess, aren't you? Yeah. You know, that's what I'm going to live with when I make, when I'm, you know, running about running around out there trying to make plays. You know, I understand that I'm going to take hits when I, you know, naked to my left, roll back, right. But, we completed the ball, made a play, got a first down. So I'm going to live with that hit every day of the week. As you advance in your NFL career, there's a balancing act there between taking the hit, making the play, taking the hit, making the play. Are you still in the process of going through a valuation part of it? Yeah, um, but like I said, I'm always going to try to make a play. And now, you know, I understand when and when not to, you know, situations of the game. You know, if it's 
second and long, you know, you're getting close to taking the sack, just get rid of the ball and play third and, you know, eight instead of third and 15. Um, but, you know, on the one, it was second and 15. And in my mind, there's not a lot of difference between second and 15 and third and 20. So I'm going to extend that play a little longer than I would have otherwise. After the game, Sack said that, uh, you know, when the three technique is getting big time pressure, it's almost like a free runner. It doesn't matter what play is called. You know, it's a tough dynamic. I mean, that's hard for you to see in that situation when the pressure is coming right in your face in the middle of the pocket, isn't it? Yeah, but, you know, it's my job to make that guy miss and make a play. You know, I don't get paid to take sacks. I get paid to make plays, and so that's my job. Things are going to happen where, you know, we got five guys blocking every single play, and they got pass rushers that are paid millions of dollars to come and sack me. So guys are going to lose. Guys are going to get beat. That's the nature of the league. It's my job to uh, limit mistakes and make plays. Let's talk about the sacks a little bit more, Lap. Right now, he's on a pace to basically tie the all-time single-season record that was set by David Carr, number one overall pick by Houston his rookie year when he got sacked 76 times. That's basically the pace that Joe Burrow is on right now. He got sacked eight times last week. I went back and looked at the most sacks that the all-time great Bengals quarterbacks took in a single game. Kenny Anderson, eight. Carson Palmer, six with Cincinnati, but yet sacked eight times once with the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Boomer, six. Andy Dalton, eight last year. The all-time record, David Klingler in his first NFL start, 10. That's the Bengals record. That's not the NFL record, which is 12, shared by two great quarterbacks, Donovan McNabb and Warren Moon. Yeah, and you wonder... Okay, those guys are athletic, running around, you know, trying to hold the ball, make plays, and everything goes along with it. Um, you know, I wonder what Andrew Luck, I wonder how his career would have been if he continued. Now, the offensive line, though, is much different. I think Andrew Luck right now would be enjoying his life because Philip Rivers is, and the Indianapolis Colts fixed that problem after Andrew Luck decided to retire, which is unfortunate. But, yeah, it's – look, like, like Joe Burrow said – Pass rushers are paid a lot of money. Defensive linemen paid a lot of money to rush the passer and pressure the quarterback. And the Bengals right now, Dan, last in the league in sacks with 14. That's 32nd. 107 yards lost, 32nd as well, dead last. They've lost over a football field. They've given back over a football field of offense due to their quarterback sacks. Denver, who you mentioned, you know, with our, with our, with our good buddy playing the quarterback position, 13 sacks, 106 yards. One less sack, one less yard. They're 31st in both categories. So when you're giving up 14 sacks and over a football field in, in, in yards, it's obviously it's, it's something that has to be addressed. But then on the other hand, Joe Burrow's the only rookie quarterback since 1950 that has back-to-back games, 30-plus completions with no interceptions. Since 1950. So in the midst of all of that that's going on around him, you know, all the, all the, the whirlwind, He's still executing and performing pretty darn well. So if things get better, think how much better Joe can be. He's not operating at a deficient level right now as a rookie quarterback with all the frenzy going on around him. So if that can improve, whatever percent, 10%, 20%, Joe Burrow will improve as well. I mean, it, 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 it can only get better. I mean, if he's, if he's posting these numbers under these adverse conditions, when conditions improve, so should his numbers. He is one for 16 on throws that have traveled Incredible. 20 or more yards downfield. The one completion, his first career NFL touchdown to C.J. Uzama, and that was 23 yards, so it's not yep. like 50. How much of that is not having time and space? I think a good bit of it. And, and you know, the other thing is, if you get ping-ponged around, <laughs> when you do have an opportunity, you overthrow it. I mean, I think... I think the throw that he overthrew to A.J. Green, he, he said himself, high school quarterback has got to make that throw. 99 times out of 100, Joe Burrow hits A.J. Green, I think, on that pass. Now, you know, am I saying that pressure had affected him at that point, that early in the season to where he didn't make a good throw? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But I do know that over time, when you're getting smacked around like that, it's like, oh, here's the – Oh, the deep ball opportunity. Oh, it might be. It might present itself here. Get it out now. You're getting it out too fast. You're not as accurate as you could be. If if you if you feel like, I mean, the great deep ball throwers, you know, 
you're throwing with the anticipation and accuracy everywhere. Deep ball as well. But the deep ball throws that really killed defenses over the years, hold it that extra half a beat to make sure, and then boom, laser it, you know, get it in there. I mean, it's, it is. It's all about time and, like we've talked about a million times, space. Keep people arm's length away. Keep them away from Joe Burrow. So far this season, for lack of a better term, A.J. Green has looked pedestrian. Not terrible, but not what you expect out of A.J. Green. He's on a pace for 69 catches and 619 yards this season. His longest catch so far this year is 15 yards. Here's offensive coordinator Brian Callahan on the first three games of the year for A.J. Green. We need to get more out of A.J. Uh, there's uh, no question about that. Um, you know, and I think he's, he's, he's felt his way through three weeks here after not playing for two years. And I think every time he steps out there, he gets better uh, and gets more comfortable. And, you know, he really hasn't taken reps in the offense up until the season started. You know, he's, he's been in he's been meetings and he's been attentive and he understands. And But, you know, going out and doing it sometimes is a lot different than it is sitting in a classroom. And uh, that part of it, is, I think every day that goes by, he gets more comfortable, he gains more confidence. And, um, you know, we need AJ to help us. And then we've called on him on some big spots already this year and he's made plays for us. Uh, and we just we got to continue to find ways to get him the ball uh, and get him give him more opportunities to make plays as well. Brian, when you were talking about receivers stretching the field, I think you said that AJ can still do a little of that. There was a time that mm-hmm. he there was a time that he did a lot of that. Does that kind of reflect yep. where he is at this stage of his career? I think you just he's just he, coming off of a hamstring injury that limited him for most of camp. I think he's, he feels finally feels like he's fully ready to open it up and He's done a lot of good things so far. He's caught a lot of uh, contested balls that, that um, have been first downs and, and good plays for us to move the chains down the field. And um, finding ways to get AJ down the field some more, too, is, is something that you know we need to keep keep prodding and pushing to, to get to that spot. I don't know that it's a factor of anything other than um, you know kind of how the games have fallen, how the types of scheme we've seen, and ultimately you know being able to get in position to throw those balls down the field. You know, we missed him in the Chargers game. He was he was open. Um, so I don't think it's a, a factor other than just we just got to we got to connect on some of the deep shots and then we got to find ways to get him there. In the last two weeks, at least when I've been watching, I don't see great separation between A.J. Green and the guys covering him and Denzel Ward and Darius Slay are two of the better cornerbacks in the NFL. So that has something to do with that. But we're talking about A.J. Green. It didn't matter who covered him in the past the best corners in the game, at least a few times during the game, he was going to fake them out of their jock and be wide open. A.J. Green's body language oozes with uncertainty, in my opinion. You know, like, I think Brian Callahan said he's kind of feeling his way, you know, out there on the football field, and I concur 100,000%. And I've said it a million times, and I'll say it one more. He's a rep guy. He will tell you, I'm a rep guy. I need to be on the football field doing it over and over and over again. He's not a guy that takes it from the classroom and feels comfortable until he's out on the field actually going through the process with a defender and knowing exactly what he's doing, how he's supposed to do it, where he's supposed to be, how he's supposed to get there, all those kind of things. And there's no doubt in my mind that when opposing coaches and players watch tape of A.J. right now, they say, let's get our hands on him. In the past, A.J. would, I mean, just destroy guys that were trying to, you know, check him at the line of scrimmage, bump and run. He'd be, he'd have a release and be by him. Now they're getting their hands on him, and they're riding, you know, they're riding him, you know. And, I mean, the, the touchdown pass is a good example. Could, could it have been called? Could have. Because you know, he, more than five yards down the field, maybe, he had his hands on him. You can chuck within a five-yard area. Was at the three yard line, so it was close. Wasn't the, how much out of, out of that fight? But you can't bear hug him. You can't put an arm around him, which is what happened. And then he got called for the push off. But he was so frustrated because of how he was bottled up, he pushed off to get to try to get separation because he knew they were going to him. They said, "AJ, this is the biggest play of the game. You're our best player. We're going to you." And he knew it, so he knew at the top of his route. Damn, this ain't working. I gotta, I gotta do something to get some separation. So I, right now, watching AJ, I'm watching a player with a little uncertainty. You know, 
Um, I'm not saying he doesn't know what to do assignment-wise, but I'm saying he has not had enough repetition where he feels totally comfortable where he's just ripping up the football field. You know, he's, he's, he's letting it all hang out. To me, to me, he's got a governor on him. You know, he, he, hasn't, he, hasn't, let, he hasn't let it go to the, to the top of his, uh, you know, Autobahn-type range yet. He's got a governor, you know, and, and, and hopefully he'll start to feel more and more comfortable and take that governor off. On defense, Carl Lawson had two sacks last week. He also had a pair of hurries. And according to Pro Football Focus, Lawson is currently tied for 18th among edge defenders through three weeks. He also had a good game as a run stopper last week in Philly. And he embarrassed nine-time Pro Bowl left tackle Jason Peters. Here's Carl on last week's performance. I think me just being on the field more is just, you know, that's kind of helped because it's like, you know, sometimes when you got to um, sub in and get your motor running a little bit, you know, kind of, but now, you know, so, so I'm in a better, uh, better role this year where I get to play, you know, first, second, and third down. I just get in the rhythm and I can, you know, uh, impose my will on the game a little bit more, you know. So I don't, not necessarily think that Peters was doing it, just, you know, um, just me being out there more and um, just having some experience, I think, helped uh, with my play. Is Carl Lawson more than a situational pass rusher? I think he is. Now, he does have three quarterback sacks tied for fifth in the NFL with Miles Garrett and Joey Bosa. Pretty good company. But he can play the run. I mean, you, when he gets lined up on tight ends in some of the packages that Lou Anarumo has, it's a, it's a mismatch. And the thing about him is he plays with low center of gravity anyway, and he does that in the running game as well, and he's got really good hip snap. He can roll his hips, and, man, when he strikes you and, and has that low pad level – he can be a load. I mean, he's got a very, very quick first step. He's sudden. He's explosive. He can play with power. He can play with strength. He can convert power to strength. He's got a bunch of traits that uh, that would translate to more than just like an edge pass rush guy on third down. I think he can do more than that for you. Did Lou Anarumo basically let the front four go in passing situations last week? It seemed like it. Yeah, it seemed like they, they thought – we get some favorable matchups here. I mean, Peters is going in the Hall of Fame, but he's 38 years old. It's his 17th season. He's, you know, I was kidding during the game. There are two Statue of Liberties, one in Philadelphia and one in New York, but <laughs> because he wasn't, he's not moving like he was. And and Carl Lawson was the one one arm stab throwing him around. I mean, he was he was just having his way with him. Um, but yeah, it's. It's uh, they, they decided they could just beat him, don't have to do anything fancy, don't have to overload the blitz action, don't have to twist as much, just one-on-one pass rush, get up the field and get something done. And Carlos Dunlap had nine unassisted tackles. That's a, that's a very productive day out of the defensive end. And like I said a couple of times, I thought uh, they let Lane Johnson get away with uh, some action on the edge. I, I thought that uh, Lane Johnson, I know he's coming off an ankle injury, he looked a little diminished, and Peters looked big-time diminished from where – he was in his prime. Did Mike Daniels have an impact in his return? He did. You know, he's uh, he he definitely, you know, can invert the line of scrimmage, and uh, he play another one plays with a low pad level. He's you know six one, and three hundred plus pounds. I mean, that's like trying to block a you know a mini fridge that's got some mobility or a hydrant that can move around. And he he definitely he definitely shores it up for him up front. Hopefully, you know the the word is that he came out of it well. I was you know okay you come off a of groin. You play 20-some-odd snaps. The next day after the game is the t- tail of the tape. How sore are you? How stiff are you? And uh, he went into the training room, I understand, you know, not in that serious a scenario. So hopefully he'll be able to ramp up his snaps because he's going to help. And uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure about Gino. doesn't look like Gino's going to make the dance this week either, unfortunately. And, um, you know, this, this, how bad is this shoulder injury? What's going on here? You know, it's ba- ba- you get your best defensive player not playing the first month of the first four games of the season. Man, you could use him. It's a team struggling to stop the run. He could help that. He and Daniels in there together with DJ Reader in a rotation. Whew, that dog can hunt right there. Geno Atkins did practice on a limited basis on Wednesday, so if he's not back this week, hopefully he'll return soon. Linebacker Logan Wilson missed Wednesday's practice due to the concussion protocol. The highest-graded pass blocker through three games on the Bengals' offensive line has been center Trey Hopkins. Pro Football Focus ranks him 10th among NFL centers in that category so far this year. It's only his second year at the position, 
and I spoke to the 28-year-old this week. Trey, you know how this works. Regardless of how many pass attempts your quarterback throws or if there are situations where he has to get rid of the ball, if he gets sacked, the offensive line gets ripped. How difficult is that aspect of the job right now? I, I think we've made it more difficult than it needs to be. We just have to settle things down. And we have to we have to um, give Joe the time he needs, no matter how many times that is in a game, no matter where we throw it 100 times or we throw it once. Um, when the play's called, block it. It's our responsibility. So... Just let it stay that simple, I guess, and and, and, and we just got to do a better job to sure it up and be a lot firmer up there. Following last week's game, both Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan said when they looked back at the tape, it was better than they thought. Did you feel the same way? It's difficult to, to find yourself getting to that conclusion. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very, it's a difficult thing. It's a, it's a thing that takes a lot of maturity because, I mean, a, a tie is still not a win, so you still have that that you still have that same bitter taste in your mouth. Um, and a lot of times, it's easier to just to go go over the things that went wrong. Those things seem to stand out a lot more in your head when when you don't win a game. Just like when you win a game, things that went right seem to stand out a lot more than they should. But they're both exactly correct. When we sat down with the coaches and actually watched the film and slowed down and watched play by play and watched assignments and, and steps and techniques. Yes, there, there has been an improvement um, in, in throughout these three games so far. Um, still not enough, obviously, to get the win, which is the ultimate goal. So we just have to keep pushing towards that. We're visiting with Trey Hopkins. On the play last week where Joe Burrow had the wind knocked out of him, did that take the wind out of you watching it? Yeah, yeah, it, it did. It definitely not a not a, a good feeling, not a, not a good play, not something that you ever want to have happen for sure. For sure, it was it was definitely disheartening. I want to go back to a Joe Burrow quote from the preseason about his relationship with the offensive line. He said, those guys have to be my best friends. I have to make them happy so they'll fight for me. And then he went on to say, they are going to have some nice Christmas presents this year. Does Joe make you guys feel appreciated? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. And, and one thing Joe, Joe does, he he makes it a point, which is something that's kind of new. He always speaks to the O-line. First thing he does when he comes into the huddle each new series, he speaks to the, the O-line and practicing in, in the games. Um, and, and he's been a great presence. Um, he hasn't been um, a down voice, but an encouraging one. Um, and just letting us know, hey, I'm on, I'm on board with you guys. We got to get this thing right. And I believe, and he believes in us to get it right. So now it's, it's just up to us to, to protect the guy and, um, and to do a better job at that, all of us. Let's turn to the running game. It was excellent in the second half of the season last year. Can you put a finger on why you haven't been able to pick up where you left off? Not exactly a finger. It's one of those things where you look at you look at the film and it's it, it takes all eleven on offense. And even when you got ten doing it right, you got nine. It, it those those pieces are critical. And that's one thing. That's that's where we're at. That's what we're seeing with our run game. It's just small pieces, or what you think are small pieces, actually play a huge role when it comes to to live bullets. Um, so it's just making sure all 11 guys, we're all, we're all on the same page and we're all executing to the best of our abilities on each play because you never know when the big run could be. You never know when your one block, even if you don't get it right, that one extra, that, that little bit of strain just gets the, gets the defender off, off balance just a little bit more to get Joe just bursting through that hole, you know what I'm saying? So it, it, it just comes to all of us executing on every play, not each of us taking – taking our turns and missing an assignment or missing a step or being behind or something like that. It hasn't been what you would have wanted so far, but it's been far superior to the first half of last year. Does the turnaround you had last year give you confidence that you will turn it around again this year? Sure. I mean, I have confidence because the guys that are in this locker room, 100%. Now, we don't want it to take as long as last year, obviously. We have a game coming up on Sunday that – we have to be confident that we can win. We are confident that we can win, and we deserve to. We're going to work and prepare for it. Um, so the turnaround, we're not giving ourselves that much time. We're not giving ourselves that much that much leeway. We need we need this right now because the guys in this locker room deserve it. We work too hard. They put in a lot of time. We've, we've got to turn this thing around now. You've played with three right guards in three games, partly due to injury, partly due to performance. How difficult is that? It's not the best situation. It's not optimal. It's not what you would go into a season and say, yeah, we're just going to rotate each one. But it's, it's, part, it's something that just happens. 
and, and, and like anything else, you got to take it in stride and you got to roll with the punches. And, and the guy that gets called up, that guy just does the best of his ability. Everybody around him rally around him and, and we get this thing going. It's not something that you could really, you can labor on too long or, or woe is me about. It's just, it is what it is. Let's play. Last thing for Trey Hopkins. You've got a three-point loss. You've got a five-point loss. You have a tie. Are you encouraged by how close these games have been or angry that you have not been able to seal the deal? Angry. Um, we were close all last year in a, in a two-win season. We were close in pretty much all of those games. I would say there wasn't a game that I felt like we just could not have won. So it, it's it's not enough to be close. It's not enough to to have a competitive game or to not get blown out. These are games that we can win, we should win, and we have to figure out a way to win. Hope you get it done this Sunday. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it, Trey. Thank you so much. Now time to turn our attention to this week's opponent, the 1-2 Jacksonville Jaguars. It looked like they were in full tanking for Trevor mode when they traded away defensive stars Jalen Ramsey, Calais Campbell, and Yannick Ngakwe, and released running back Leonard Fournette. But lo and behold, the Jags opened the season by upsetting the Colts and had the Titans on the ropes in Week 2 before losing on a field goal in the final two minutes. But then, Jacksonville laid a pterodactyl-sized egg last week, losing by 18 to the Dolphins at home. Gene Frenette, a columnist for the Florida Times Union, joined Lapp and me on the Bengals game plan show this week, and I asked Gene if the Jaguars had exceeded his expectations so far this year. Uh, a little bit. Uh, certainly the last game uh, gives you a little bit of a pause, right? I mean, uh, it looked like a semblance of, of Jaguars teams we've seen in the past. And more to the point, it looked like a team that was very, very young and, you know, maybe did not handle uh, having a little bit of praise thrown their way the first two weeks. And for whatever reason, you know, put up a clunker. And, and now, now, granted, they had some injury issues. I mean, they're their starting center was out for the game. Their best receiver, DJ Chark, and best deep threat did not play. So that's you know it's a little bit, a little bit of it. But uh, you know you certainly can't blame all of it on that, right? And plus they lost their, uh, you know, probably the, what maybe the, one of the top two place kickers in the league, and Josh Lambeau, who's still on IR and won't, and won't be there this week either. Uh, that 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 all you know all those things factored in a little bit. But you know none of that excuses the fact that the Jaguars defense. Uh, for the third week in a row, looked absolutely hideous in the first quarter, and and put and put the and put their team in a 14-point hole yet again. Yeah, that's the thing that is amazing to me: 35 points allowed in the first quarter, 27 in the second quarter, 63 points allowed in the first half in three football games. That that makes it uh, that makes it some tough sledding for you. When you talk about how young, third youngest team in the league, 25 years, 274 days average age of the football team. 36 players with four years or less experience. Were all the changes made with the name players strictly economics or a segment earlier here in the show we were talking about culture? Were there culture issues that, that some of these veteran players were causing problems and concerns? Was it a combination of everything? Why did they decide to just strip it and get so young? Well, the, the accurate answer is it was a little bit of both. Some of it was salary cap related. Some of it was culture related. And by the way, the Jaguars are the youngest team in the NFL. And I think the only reason it might have gone to third youngest is because they had to sign a veteran that bumped up their average because they were they were more like about 25 years and one month okay. uh, there for a while. But, you know, I mean, this, it, this, uh, it, this, this is going on, uh, going off of a uh, release from the league for this game. Yeah. Yeah. The point, the point, the point is obvious. But no, it was, it was both culture and uh, economics related. They, you know, they, they, uh, Traded away Calais Campbell. That was certainly an economics issue. That certainly wasn't a production or culture issue. Right. Because he's the, he's the best leader you had in that locker room. So uh, uh, Jalen Ramsey, that was pretty uh, well documented what happened there. And they ended up getting two first-round draft picks for it for him. So uh, A.J. Bouye was probably a little bit more economics. Uh, and then you've, uh, you know, there's uh, – and Yannick Ngakwe. I mean, you saw what that situation evolved into. He didn't want to play for the team anymore. And, uh, you know, but he wasn't a bad guy in the locker room, but he just got to the point where he was fed up because he didn't think he was getting that. He didn't think he was valued as much as he valued himself. And uh, consequently, uh, you know, we, we've seen that, you know, the pass rushers uh, weren't getting the high market end deals they were getting two years ago. 
And he just, you know, he just got caught in a little bit of a timing thing. And so, so, but the point is when you let go that many veteran talented guys and you replace them with younger, cheaper players, you know, every once in a while, that's going to come back and bite you. And I think that was what we saw the other night. You know, you saw a, a young team on the big stage, had it all to him, to itself, and uh, just did not handle it well. Right. Gene Frenette from the Florida Times Union is our guest. Gene, for nine years here, Andy Dalton was the quarterback. And a lot of people felt like, well, clearly he's good enough to get you to the playoffs, but is he good enough to take you to a Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl? What about Gardner Minshew? Uh, he's obviously proven he's good enough to, you know, keep them in games. He has some some terrific performances like he did in week one. But can an NFL team win big with Gardner Minshew? Well, <laughs> the Jaguars are the Jaguars. I don't I don't know if he'll get I don't know if he'll get that chance to find that out with the Jaguars. Uh, you know, as you know, the NFL is a week to week league. You know, first two weeks go by and they're saying, hey, we got something really looks like we might have something really special in Gardner Minshew. Then a, a game like Miami happens, and then all of a sudden you're tapping the brakes a little bit, and then you realize that, you know, things are going to change from week to week. And uh, in, in my opinion, Gardner Minshew is going to be a quarterback in this league for a long time. He's going he's gonna to be in this league in some capacity for the next eight to ten years, in my opinion. Now, what is going to be his role over the course of that time? That, that I think is still to be determined. I think the Jaguars think they got something pretty good in him, but I also think that Gardner Minshew is the type of quarterback you've got to surround him with some really, really good and special talent if you're going to go a long ways with him. That's just my my feeling on it. I, I you know, and you know what that describes a lot of NFL starting quarterbacks. You know, if they don't have, there's only like three or four guys in the entire league that can literally lip, put a team on their shoulders and, and take them somewhere, right? right. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, um, certainly Tom Brady, and, and it may, at a younger Tom Brady, a younger Drew Brees. Uh, but there's just, not that, there's just not that many of those guys, you know? I Patrick mean, Mahomes. Uh, yeah, but you know what? I'd like to see how Patrick Mahomes would do if he had the, if he had the Jaguar skill players. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Patrick Mahomes, but he came into a perfect ready-made situation in terms of the running back, in terms of the receivers, in terms of the tight end. Um, he's a special quarterback. There's no yeah, doubt he's, about a, it. he's a generational also, talent. There's no doubt. He also, he also benefited from you know having Andy Reid and, and just a great situation. So uh, uh, you know, I mean, right now I think Russell. I think Russell Wilson's the best quarterback. If you if you ask me to pick the best quarterback in the NFL, it'd be Russell Wilson. Yeah. He'd be my be my first pick, but uh, you know, getting back to Minshew, I, I you know it's it's still it's a work in progress. That's what it is, you know. If he goes up this week and and has a, a great game against the Bengals and the Jaguars win, you know, ten or fourteen points, well, does that validate him as a, as the long term answer at the court at the quarterback position? No, I mean you're going up against a rookie in Joe Burrow who's taken fourteen sacks himself in the first three games. I don't know how many of those are covered sacks. How many of those are him either, you know, got sacked immediately or got or, or held the ball too long? It's probably a little bit of both, right? So, uh, you know, th- this week is certainly not going to be a, uh, you know, affirmation or, uh, or otherwise on Gardner Minshew. He's just got to keep trying to progress as a quarterback and hope that uh, he's good enough to win the job. Because, quite frankly, if they, if, you know, if, if they only win three or four games this year, and they get in, and they're able to get into the Trevor Lawrence sweepstake. I, I think the Jaguars will be good enough, will be just good enough to stay out of the Trevor Lawrence Derby. Let's put it that way. Right, right. I think um, the the fact that you're talking about the uncertainty of of the of the play of Minshew, it's going to be about running the football. You got a free agent, uh, college free agent running back Robinson, who is very impressive to watch on tape. I'm not saying he's Maurice Jones-Drew. But he's a poor man. I don't know how poor man, but he's a poor man version, kind of, in my eyes, a little bit watching him. Three touchdowns rushing, tied for seventh in the NFL, averaging 4-9 a carry, 210 yards, 11th in the NFL. And last year, the Jaguars rushed for 216 yards against the Bengals in that that win. So I would think Jacksonville's game plan, I don't know what Jay Gruden's thinking, but I would think he'd come in here and run the football. The Bengals are dead last in the NFL, not only this year, but over the last two years. 2019 and 2020 against the run, giving up over 150 yards a game in the, in the, on the ground 
over the last year plus. So I would think that would be their big, big deal. Well, you certainly have to. Uh, you certainly have to think that that, ha- that has to be part of it. You, I mean, listen. Uh, I know it's a passing league, right? I mean, that's 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 what that's what the NFL's evolved into for the last 10, 15 years. But you look at the teams that are running the ball well; those are the teams that have got the better records in the NFL right now. And the teams that pass the ball a lot, including your Bengals, uh, are not doing so well. Uh, you have to be able to. Uh, you have to be able to have. You got to have a running game. I mean, you ju- you just do. I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs are maybe a little bit of an outlier there, but uh, for the most part, you've got to be able to run the ball when you want to run it. And you know, the Jaguars, you know, they've fallen behind early, and it'll be interesting to see what happens if they win the coin toss again, whether they'll defer or take the ball, because uh, you know, Doug Marone has said he's going to maybe revisit the strategy of always deferring when he wins the coin toss, because you know, the Jaguars have gotten off these terrible starts. Uh, because of what you know, the defense is, you know, basically sleepwalking uh, in the first quarter for whatever reason, or maybe they're just not good enough. It's possible that, that, that that's a possibility as well. But uh, you know, they're certainly not playing as bad in the fourth and third and second quarters as they have been in the first. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, James Robinson has just been—he's been the most pleasant surprise of all. I mean, there's—it's not even—it's it's not even close. I mean, when you ask Jaguars, you know who. Who's, who's been the biggest surprise? Anyway, they weren't. Now, James Robinson was not a surprise to the coaching staff because they saw in camp, you know, how, how well, you know, particularly his vision. He just has, seems to have a knack for making the first guy miss and for picking the right hole and being decisive in doing it. And, uh, you know, that's the reason why his yards per carry average right now is, is as good as it is. Small sample size. I get it. Three games. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, w- I would expect J- James Robinson has been averaging 17 touches a game between uh, receiving and, and rushing. And I would expect that, uh, that that trend would continue and maybe even get up a little bit. But, uh, you know, the Jaguars got a lot of weapons. But if they don't have D.J. Chark this weekend, and I think that's going to be a game-time decision, and I think Linder, the center, will also be a game-time decision, Chark does change things a little bit. It may, it's going to be a lot easier for defensive coordinators to defend the Jaguars if Chark's not in the lineup. Didn't they, uh, Chark, go get a second opinion? What happened with that second opinion? I heard somewhere he's getting a second opinion on his chest. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what's happened with the second opinion, but uh, you know he's back in practice today on a limited basis. And it, it just feels like to me the Jaguars are going to take this up all the way until Sunday, and he'll be a game-time decision. You know, you got, you, when you've got chest issues and back, I mean, that that's – you know, that's quite a bit to deal with. And maybe they sit him out for one more week just to give him time to recuperate. Because, you know, you know if, if this was mid-December, they'd probably have him out there. But, you know, it's only week four. And the last thing you want to do is aggravate that injury. And then you'll have him out, you know, then you'll have him on IR, you know. So uh, uh, I, I think that uh, the Jaguars are going to play that with a lot of caution going into this Sunday. My last question for Gene Frenette from the Florida Times Union. How does Tyler Eifert look? Uh, well, you know, I mean, he's uh, he's a pretty pretty good looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> Is he practicing much? <laughs> but uh, uh, I mean, from a football standpoint, for now, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, he looks like he's just a guy. You know, just a you know, okay tight end, good, you know. Decent blocker, I guess, but, you know, uh, I haven't seen anything for uh, right now that makes me go, boy, the Jaguars were smart to go get him. Now, I'm sure, you know, I bet Tyler might be a little bit more productive uh, this week facing his old employer. He, in fact, he actually, uh, I was, I was uh, somewhat impressed that, that he actually uh, had a sarcastic uh, dead panning remark when asked about uh, whether he had a conversation, you know, with, with, with Minshew about, uh, you know, being able to have more production this week. And yeah, he said, yeah, I said, we, we, we talked about 20 targets. <laughs> and of course, then he, he reverted back to, uh, you know, vanilla, bland, nice guy, answer your question, Tyler Eifert, but nothing, you know, not, he, he hasn't made it. He, he hasn't made me go, Oh wow. He looks like the guy, he looks like that tight end from, you know, five years ago or whatever. Uh, yeah, the, the 2015 version, yeah. unfortunately, took too many uh, too many shots. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Final, yeah, question, final question here too, Gene, and thanks for all the time you carved for us. Um, the guy who 
basically said, let's get Tyler Eifert down here. He knows my system. Jay Gruden, what kind of an impact has he had uh, with the organization offensively? You can't begin to imagine how many rose petals and bouquets were thrown at Jay's feet after the first two games of the season. I bet. I, mean, I bet. Oh, gosh. He was like, oh, finally we got this play caller. And, uh, and this is one of my pet peeves about NFL fans and even about the media to some degree, that if something works really well, it's a great play call. And if something just is terrible, it looks like, you know, the first guy they want to blame is the play caller. You know, having no idea that, you know, one guy could have missed an assignment or whatever. You, you don't know. There's a zillion factors that go into whether somebody's a good play caller or struggles to be a play caller. Do I think Jay Gruden was a good hire? Yes, I do. I mean, they had to, they had to get something different because it just, it just didn't work with John Filippo last year. And, and certainly with Nick Foles gone, you know, it was not going to work. But, uh, no, I think Jay has, you know, for the most part come in and, and done a nice job and is utilizing the weapons that they have. But, you know, this, this NFL is plays. It's not, I mean, it's players. It's not plays. As much as fans want to bellyache about play calls and, you know, a third and seven where the quarterback throws a three-yard out, not realizing that, hey, he went through three progressions and he had nobody, so he took his check down hoping his guy could make a play, right? I mean, it just, you know, you see this all this time, this criticism about sometimes throwing behind the sticks or what have you, and uh, there's so much going on on an NFL play. You've got to depend on your quarterback to make the right decisions, go through his progressions, what have you. But I would, I would say that Jay Gruden was, uh, uh, it was a logical hire for uh, for Doug Marone to make, and I, I do think it's I do think it's it will prove to be a good hire. Whether it's good enough to get Jay a head coaching job again next year, you know, only time will tell that. But I I, I think it's, I think on paper it's a very good hire. We'll have much more on the game this Friday on the Bengals Pep Rally Show from three to six on ESPN fifteen thirty in Cincinnati, online at ESPN fifteen thirty com, or on the iHeart Radio app by searching for ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast brought to you by Prime Sport, the official hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.